Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are here to prevent abortion, help those it hurts, uh, build up the church, change the culture, win hearts and minds in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a big agenda, and our guest, Chuck Foreman, is here to do the heavy lifting. Pastor Foreman is the lead pastor at First Christian Church Phoenix, and it's really a joy to welcome you to uh, Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank you, Kim. It's good to be here with you. Chuck is my pastor, and we are, uh, my husband Bruce and I recently joined a church about maybe six months ago now, and it's been um, a revelation being in a church that is so authentic and that is so welcoming to everyone and that is so engaged in the community around us. So uh, I just, I mean, I know you know that we feel that way, but I can't say it enough yeah, to you. Thank you, Kim. We're really glad to have you all with us, too. First Christian Church Phoenix has an outreach to the least and the lost. I mean, I can't think of a disenfranchised, down and out, you know, rejected, dejected group that you won't. Yeah, it seems that God is evolving us into a place where those who never thought he was interested in them, let alone his people, are finding a home and a welcome, a safe place to to not be okay mm-hmm. until God makes them okay <laughs> to be with a family on that journey together. Has that been difficult for you? I mean, did you, do you did you feel as if, well, wait a minute, don't I want the fat cats and the Cadillacs out in the parking lot? I mean, you know what I mean? There's a is there a tension? Yeah, I left that vision behind a long time ago. Not to say we there aren't some fat cats and some Cadillacs at FCC, no, right. but <laughs> As long as you give, yeah, bring your bring your caddy with you. But I interrupted you. You said you let it go. Well, we um, we want to be neck deep in helping people that we think Jesus would want us to help, no matter who that is. So, the previously incarcerated community, the homeless community, the recovery community, um, you know, that's. That's who we are becoming at FCC, and it's kind of the messy grace thing, but it is uh, so rewarding to see life change and without pretense. And there, <clears throat> there are no masks, you know. And you'll have to you'll have to lower yours, or you won't feel comfortable at FCC. Maybe that's the best way to describe it kind of the ethos and the culture of the church there. Well, and you and I met at an event sponsored by Faith Talk 1360 at Scottsdale Bible Church. It was a pastor's luncheon for, you know, what what is the role of the church in a post-Roe world. And there were, you know, there were dozens of pastors there. And I gave my testimony of, you know, being restored in Christ after abortion. And 
you were the only pastor who approached me afterwards to say one word to me, which I thought was, you know, I mean, it's it's not that unusual. Pastors are busy. Many of them just had time for the lunch and had to get back to work, you know. But um, it's, it's a big reason why Bruce and I ended up at your church, because I could see that you are willing to allow your heart to be touched by the people around you, which is something that must be costly for pastors because everybody's got their needs all around you. Oh, yeah. Well, Kim, your story is powerful. And I, Kathy and I, my wife, were both touched by that and the, the authenticity that I saw in you, um, I think, is what drew us to your story and then to Bruce, your husband. Um, and we... We just, we think Jesus was real, you know. He um, he didn't shy away from being with the people that he knew needed God, but were not finding God because God's people were in the way. Mm-hmm. God's people had rejected them because of their sin and their, you know, God's people being trapped in this idea of religiosity and that that's how we get God's attention and that's how we impress him as we go through the motions. But failing to see that God's just interested in our hearts mm-hmm. and that when he became king through Christ here on earth and brought his kingdom to earth, he provided the solution for hearts that felt like they were unredeemable. Mm. You know, we we interpret God by how his people respond to us. And if we feel judged and rejected by those who claim to be God's people, why would we ever think that the God they claim to represent is interested right. in us? Yeah, you know, there was a there was a, we read our daily bread devotional together in the morning, Bruce and I, and there was a line in there about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that characterized Jesus' words as loving people back to God, which I'm still kind of chewing that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. is that's, that's our call, is to love people back to God. Well, imagine, imagine his disciples, all Jewish men, hearing him say, go and make disciples of all the ethne mm. of the nations. Mm. And that word in other places in the scripture is translated Gentile, heathen, barbarian, you know, those those dirty, God-forsaken people that you hate, those are the ones I'm sending you to to disciple mm. in the same way that I have discipled you. Mm. And I think that's the message we miss in our English translation. Well, and instead, really, even... Among the pious in church, I have found that we tend to other people. We tend to make them the dirt balls, right? And particularly if we find out that someone has become pregnant without being married, if someone has had an abortion, if someone is divorced, if someone is addicted, name the sin. Yeah. Instead, we distance rather than go and disciple this person. Yeah. Oh, there's a long list. Right? Of... Uh, of heinous crimes against God and his people. And I I think a lot of the church is, is healing from their religiosity that alienates them from the people that need God. Let's you hope. Know? Let's hope, yeah. Um, but 
the the challenge for the church is communicating that love to the world that's outside looking in. Right. And we right. have a lot to live down. We have a lot to overcome in order to convince those who are lost and who need God. And most people know that, you know. It's not news. We don't have to tell them. Um, we have a lot. We have a big challenge of communicating the right message in the right way. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, talk is cheap. We have to we have to live it out. You know, I'm I'm learning that as well, a father. It's not enough for me to oh. say, <laughs> "I love you." you no, know, they want they want me to show it, and so we, Kid, we all have challenges. Kids are great teachers. <laughs> so Chuck Foreman is our guest. He's lead pastor at First Christian Church in Phoenix, FCC. And Chuck, um, one of the things that contributed to my redemption and being called to speak the truth about abortion was something that you regularly train us to do at FCC, which is to put yourself in the Scripture and find your story in the story that you're reading or that is confronting you in God's Word. And, you know, at a discipleship retreat, we were encouraged to put ourselves into the story of the Passion of Christ. And who who are you? Because, you know, every attitude of the heart was represented that day. And... I really, you know, looked at the weeping women, and I looked at Pilate's wife, who had a little bit of knowledge but no foundation. I looked at all the players, and I really saw that I was like the guards who gambled for his cloak. Because at that point in my life, not when I'd had the abortion, but at that point in my life, I had my salvation. And I was wearing it like a cloak among the righteous people at church, mm-hmm. hoping they never saw all what every, everything that was underneath mm-hmm. that cloak. Right? And I was gambling with my own salvation by doing that. You know, those guards gambling for his cloak had no idea who he was. You know, they just wanted a little piece of the yeah, of the super yeah. fair. You know, and so um, it, it gave me such an empathy for his sacrifice, you know, that, I, that it gave me the boldness to repent and come without excuse. And after that happened, you know, the Lord said now, and, and, and I, you, you and I are good, as you put it in church last Sunday. Now, Kim, you and I are good. Now you go and tell. And I started immediately engaging my pastor. You know, so I'm called to tell, is this, you know, where do I stand with you and where do I? And Chuck, in 21 years, and Bruce and I moved around a lot in those years, and we also, you know, searched for good churches so, you know, if we move, we might have had four or five churches we visited before we settled on one. Sharing that story with pastors and saying, what what can I do here in this church? You are the first pastor who ever said, well, will you help make an outreach for people who've experienced abortion? You're the first one in 21 years. It's hard for me to Isn't it? believe. But. Well, when it happened, I, I came home, I said to Bruce, oh, he wants me to... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what you get at FCC. So you see a need. You see a need. Okay. Well, step up to the plate and help us right. help us meet it. But right. you know, we I think a lot of times, Kim, I see I envision myself just sort of on the sidelines watching God do his thing. And I can't say that any of what I would say are really kingdom things that are happening at FCC now or because I orchestrated them. Right. But I 
I just said yes when it was obvious, yeah, this is something Jesus would want us to do. And we've been talking about this for a while, and mm. here you come, and I I think, wow, Lord, you've provided somebody that could actually help us put this together here because we have women all around us who need love and help and acceptance. They need to experience your forgiveness. And here you say, you and me are good hmm. again, you know, mm-hmm. from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this consumer group called, or it's a, it's actually a, it's a nonprofit. Uh, they have a faith-based outreach, but they also are training clinicians, trying to build capacity to help people after abortion. And they're building that, that clinician arm of it because only 16% of the people they did their survey uh, with said they wanted a faith-based solution. Only 16% of women suffering after abortion said, I need to get right with God. That's shocking to me. Mm-hmm. First of all, I mean, I guess it's because you know, our culture has so dehumanized the children that we think it's now just a psychological problem I have that I participated in taking a life. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. I, how could I condemn? I did it myself. But do you know what I mean? It's like right. the thinking is is so, uh, can, you know, what does the word say? I will frustrate the intelligent, the intelligence of the wise, right? God says he's, in Isaiah. He has, um, yeah, and then he's also given us over to the futility yes. of our yes of our thinking, of our minds, Romans 1. Right. But, so, and I think... Um, I think part of part of the reason why, um, yeah, I need to get right with God is not up near the top of the list of of a person's recovery, is because <clears throat> they haven't experienced Him yet. They mm. haven't experienced His love. Mm. They haven't been approached in love by His people, and once that happens, that that once someone has even just one experience of the acceptance of God or the acceptance of someone else who they suspect is a Christian or claims to know God, once someone experiences something different than they might commonly receive out there in the cold world, that opens up a door for the Holy Spirit to begin doing his work in their heart even if mm-hmm. they aren't aware. Mm-hmm. So that's why, um, you know, Jesus said, they'll know that you are, that you belong to me if you love one another. Right. And that, that love spills out over into our community and people that need him. Mm-hmm. So many pastors, uh, you know, and the result of that research was 0% said they would go to a pastor or church seeking help after abortion. And, I mean, I hope FCC is going to start trying to stem that tide. A lot of the abortion recovery outreach is happening in pregnancy centers now, you know. But we know people sitting in the pew, as Ruth Graham said in her book, In Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. We know in every church someone is sitting in a pew who has an abortion they haven't reconciled with God, you know. And so um, I'm happy to do my part and, you know, plow up my little field <laughs> with you at FCC. But I, but if we start thinking about, you know, pastors who are listening and church leaders who are listening today, uh, it occurred to me that, you know, in the story of the prodigal son, 
we have the the prodigal son who was rebelling against his father's authority because he wanted what he wanted. And then we have the story of the older brother who was, you could say, I mean, it seems to me because I've been in that position of being the older brother, uh, he was, and maybe this is revealing more of my heart than a parable, <laughs> but, but you could say that the older brother was manipulating the authority. He was hanging around doing what was right, not because he just loved his father and it was the right thing to do, but because he was waiting for his rewards too, as evidenced by his resentment when his brother gets the party. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, help me think through that. When someone, because I've had people react to hearing my testimony in church by telling me, well, I've never been a prodigal. I can't relate. I grew up in church. I never rebelled. You know, uh, I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm touched by your, you know, recovery, but I, I just can't relate to this story. And I think it kind of represents, you have people in church who are broken by abortion, but you have people in church who are, I won't say hardened like the my body, my choice crowd, but that are hardened by thinking this has nothing to do with me. You know, I'm just rocking along here being the the good son. So is that fair? Are those the two paths? And was that the heart condition of the older brother? I mean, I feel like there's a key for the church in this story. The beauty, the beauty of that story is, um, you know, it, it's one of three. In fact, it's the third in a series of mm-hmm. three stories that he made up on the spot because he was being condemned by the religious community, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, for hanging out with sinners, you know, the, the people of ill repute that they didn't think, and that no rabbi should associate with. And so he, on the spot, made up these three stories. The first one was the lost sheep, and then the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. And the beauty of the third story, which we under, we know as the prodigal son, is he didn't finish the story. He he left us hanging um, to fill in the gaps. But his very clear meaning was that the religious community was the older brother. So, you know, there there are a lot of us who might you know we we. If we were asked the question, who are you in the story? Are you the younger son, the older son? We know the father is God, so we, would we don't get to take that. We would be reluctant <laughs> to place ourselves there, although I think uh, some might. <laughs> the, the point of the story is Jesus wants us all to respond to the younger brothers out there and the younger sisters out there who have gone their way and ruined their life and dug a deep pit for themselves and finally came to their senses and and came home or trying to come home. He wants us to receive them like the father did. <clears throat> you know, he, he never stopped standing on the front porch looking and waiting mm. for his son to come home. Mm-hmm. And when he saw him in the distance, he didn't wait for him to come and grovel at his feet and hear his condemnation, he ran. He ran to him, Kim. And the original language there says, and he embraced him, he would not stop kissing him over and over and over. And um, so if we are the older brother who's never been a prodigal, we don't have a sordid story of, 
having fallen away and, you know, all of that. Um, okay, recognize that you're the older brother, but don't behave like the one did in Jesus' story. Your responsibility now, if you are the older brother, your job is to receive all of those younger brothers and sisters who have been out there and to hear the message of the Father, which says, he didn't say in reference to the young, when when he's talking with the older brother at the end of the story, and that's the final conversation, he doesn't refer to his youngest son as his son. He says, your brother, okay, he drives it home. You have a relationship to this one that's come back. He's your brother. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. And the final statement is, we must celebrate. That's it. That's the end of the story. So his message to us, who might be in the church now and are trying to figure out how to open our arms to those outside, how do we how do we draw them in? Is you can't you can't get all upset like in a, in a church like mine, like yours now at FCC. We talk a lot about the younger brothers and sisters among us, and how probably half our church is in recovery. And you will sit next to an ex-con here at FCC, so welcome. And, um, you know, most people don't know who they are, but I do. We had three people from our homeless community in church on Sunday sitting right down there in front of me. I've known them for years. They're finally feeling like, you know, God will accept them, and they're, they're coming. We talk a lot about that. And so for those those of us in church who don't have that kind of background, we don't have that same kind of dramatic conversion story. Our job is to listen to what Jesus said in this story and celebrate those who are coming and not get upset when we talk a lot about them. When the emphasis is on them and not you, okay, get over it. Be happy because Jesus said, your job now is to welcome them and celebrate. Amen. And as I could quote you by saying, right on. <laughs> it's a big part of your personality at church, which we all of us really appreciate. Um, I hope that, you know, if a church leader listening has, has crossed that bridge, I feel like it's a bridge church leaders need to cross. You know, because you you may fear, well, I'm going to lose the older brothers. I'm going to lose the base of the people who are well enough to support this church financially. I'm going to lose if I something, someone. I'm going mm-hmm. to lose if I side with the, you know, the younger brothers, the wayward ones. Uh, and I think anybody listening has to see God's heart in it, you know, that God's mandated this celebration, that yes. that it yes. isn't a preferential treatment no. or right no it's not intended to be preferential at all it is hey a good thing is happening where the church is finally doing what it's supposed to do you know the lost are coming you know we we've become a place of welcome not judgment people are finding new life you know there's some life change stories among us 
isn't that what the church is supposed to be about? Mm. So um, that is that is a good for you, older brother. You're 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 making it happen here because you have helped make this place one where people like all the younger brothers and sisters out there who never in a million years thought God would be interested in them, let alone his people, are finding out they were wrong mm. about God and about his people. You know, and that's what we want the church to be. Yeah, amen. And I think that it's a miracle that 16% even exists, right? Because if you're afraid of rejection again after mm-hmm. your rebellion, uh, how would you ever work up the courage to go to church. We've got just about a minute remaining. And in part two of our conversation, I want to deal more directly with the issue of abortion and the pro-life world and what our biblical mandate is as followers of Christ in all of this. And maybe as a preview, but also a cliffhanger, you shared with me that you, you have attended at least one march one sort of activism activity for uh, defending unborn life. Tell me what your sign said. Right now. Yes. My sign said, and this was back in my young mullet days, by the way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My sign said, what do you think it will be, a St. Bernard or a carrot? (laughs) Was there a question mark or an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot? (laughs) Two question marks, probably. Two question marks. All right. So we'll... We'll find out the thinking behind your question, as well as the heart that you have for both women and their unborn children and for their fathers in these difficult situations as well. Thank you so much. Chuck Foreman has been our guest. He's lead pastor at First Christian Church Phoenix, and you will link to all of his resources at cradlemyheart.org. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.